Well, good morning and welcome again to Encounter. We're glad that you're here. I want to start off this morning with just a simple question. Uh, how many of you have done some home renovations uh, at your house? Bigger, yeah, uh, bigger than uh, like paint and furniture. Uh, something involves a hammer, right? Home renovations, right. And we're not talking just like a hammer to like hang the picture on the wall. I mean like to bring those, those walls down. We got some show of hands, Fulton Heights, you guys too. Fantastic. I need you to Come on over to my place after worship today. Bring your tools. Uh, no, no. Uh, we enter into today by asking about home renovations, just this recognition that not all walls are created equally, right? Like some walls serve this like design kind of aesthetic purpose. There's a wall that separates out, um, the closet from the bedroom area, a wall that separates out the kitchen dining area from the living room area. It's aesthetic and design in nature. Uh, if you were to remove one of those walls, very little changes other than the design aesthetic of your house. And then there are some other walls, usually located like next to a stairwell, right? There are some walls that might serve a design uh, aesthetic purpose. It might also serve as a, the structural integrity of the home. If you were to remove one of these walls, it's not just that wall that comes down. The whole rest of the structure might well come down along with it. We call those walls, we call those load-bearing walls. We introduced our conversation last week, this new series that we're doing called the Apostles' Creed. And uh, really what that is at its core is a series to examine the load-bearing walls of our faith. Because we live in a day and age where everything is being questioned and taken apart. We take it out, we examine it, and we might put it back in and we might not. And I think it's just helpful in this kind of climate that we're in to do an examination of these load-bearing walls and to figure out what they are and why they exist and what might happen if we take it out and don't put it back where it belongs. We might see that the whole rest of the structure might come crashing down. And so as we enter into this time, recognizing we're doing a, a talk, series of talks on a, the Apostles' Creed, and it's a little, little weird for some of us, a little welcome for others of us. I heard a lot of feedback from part one last time. I heard from some of you guys with like Catholic Lutheran backgrounds, and you're like, yes, this is the best series. Like, I can't wait for part two. How long is it? Like 100, 200 parts? Like, let's just do this for the rest of the year. Cool. Others of you, like from a Baptist, uh, non-denom kind of background, Pentecostal background, are like, I think I might get struck by lightning just by being here. I'm not comfortable. So last week, we, we ended our time, and I heard everybody, had everybody stand up. We, we said the Lord's Prayer, joining our voices to billions in the past and in the future, who will also say this, Jesus followers on all seven continents. We, we said this together, and some of the feedback that I got on that was like, hey, that was creepy, man. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, okay, you know, fill that out a little. Some, it was like very nostalgic. Others, the feedback that I got was, it felt like we should be in robes around a cauldron speaking an incantation over our enemies. That's specific, like very Harry Potter-esque kind of feedback for us. So I just wanted to put a little context context on that. Um, we recite this thing together, and it, it sounds like a weird chant, and I get that, but we recite this thing together. This is um, the Apostles' Creed. It's a consolidation, not an incantation. I think that's helpful to know. Like we say, we don't say this thing like over and over and over, hoping for good things to happen to us and bad things to happen to our enemies. That's not how it works. We don't say like 23 I believes in order for God to love us a little bit more. That's not how this works. It's simply a consolidation, consolidating right around a million words in scripture down to about a hundred. 
a little more. And it's just, it's helpful. It's helpful insofar as it reflects the truth of God as told in the rest of Scripture. So we use the sun and moon image, and we said the, the moon shines brightly at night. And remember, the moon doesn't actually shine. No light comes from the moon. The moon simply reflects the light of the sun. That's what the creed is going to do for us. It's going to reflect the light of God's truth shining throughout the rest of Scripture. And so we're moving through the Apostles' Creed kind of line by line, and we get to the second part of the creed, and I just want to read it for you now, and it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, God the Father, that was last week, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, Fulton Heights, I'm going to ask you to do something. Just extend a hand out in my direction if you feel comfortable. Yeah. Very few people feel, okay, come on, I need this, I need this. And we're going to do a little prayer together, all right? We're going to repeat after me, just, just say, dear Lord, help this guy out. He's in way over his head. Amen, amen. And I mean that, because it's weird today. The subject contact is weird today. It was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. I get the first part, right? I get the part about, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, like, that makes sense. And even, I think it makes sense to you guys, too. Like, you drive around, and you see those little Jesus fish, like bumper stickers, you know, super simple. You guys know what I'm talking about, the Jesus fish? It's kind of clever, like, the, the, the history behind some of that. Like, symbols mean more than just, like, what we take it for, like, as a, as a bumper sticker. So I want you to, like, think of this, too, whenever you see the Jesus fish. The Greek word in the New Testament, Koine Greek, the Greek word for fish is ichthus. Not super important, other than we recognize it's an acronym, like, a, like an acrostic. Um, ichthus, spelled out letter by letter, simply means uh, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior, more or less what we just have repeated here in the text. And so that was like, when we think about the irreducible minimum of our faith, the, the load-bearing walls of this faith, we think of the fish, Jesus' fish, because it stands for everything about who Jesus was, God's Son, our Savior. It's this it's this beautiful picture. And so, and maybe it's, maybe it's historical, maybe it's, it's kind of legend, but this, but this developed over time where it was very dangerous in the second century in Rome to be a Christian. And it's also why this creed developed, right? Because people, what are we dying for? We are dying both from the hands of the Romans and the synagogue rulers. Why are we dying? What are the statements of belief that we're being asked to die for? It was a dangerous time and place to be a Jesus follower. And so when you're trying to look for some other Jesus followers, you couldn't just be like, hey, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, am I right? Dangerous in Rome. Like, you don't, you don't want to do that sort of thing. So, so what they used to do, what they used to do, and they're kind of in conversations, or maybe there was this marking on their homes, is what they would do, they'd just be in a conversation, you know, like talking about the weather, and be like, yeah, it's kind of wild, it snowed last week. And then one of the guys would just like draw this kind of like half rainbow, just like this arc with his, with his foot in the, in the dirt like that, and just like step back and wait for the other guy. And if the other guy was a follower of Jesus, he'd walk up to that line, and they're just like, yeah, the weather is wild always, right? Typical Rome being Rome. And he would connect the other half of the Jesus fish in the dirt in a way of saying, I too follow a different king. I too am a part of this underground movement where we love our enemies. We don't harm them. I too am a part of a kingdom in this world that's very real and very present, but you just can't see it. I too follow Jesus. And they would connect the fish, the ichthus, the Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. 
I get that part. I don't get the next part. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And I recognize parts of this faith just don't make a ton of sense to me. And I think that's helpful to us because you don't have to understand everything in order to believe something, in order to do something. Right? Sometimes we wait on the sidelines for so long because we're, wait, we're waiting to like get it. We're waiting for like everything to click. And, and we think that we can't follow Jesus until every last thing clicks. And I just I want to tell you, for those of you sitting on the sidelines, for those of you watching, it's so much more fun to play the game than it is to watch from the sidelines. So join that small group. Join that serving team. You don't have to understand everything in order to do something. So we're going to jump in and we're going to recognize why this thing is so important, why this thing is such it's such a load-bearing wall in our faith. And I, I'll just take it from me. We're going to go to the book of Luke, who did this careful examination of the eyewitnesses of the, of the account. And he interviewed them and then compiled it into what we know as the book of Luke in our Bibles here today. And so if you'd like to follow along on a, on a phone or on the screen, uh, that, that's awesome too. We're going to go to Luke chapter 1. And for some of you like Bible people, you're going Luke chapter 1. Isn't that, isn't that like the Christmas verse? Isn't that what we hear every December, right? Luke chapter 1. And I just want to say that if it's going to snow in late April, we might as well have Christmas. <laughs> Get the candles. Like we're doing that. We missed out last year, right? So we're going to do it now. No, uh, Luke chapter 1. It's helpful, I think, to look at this because if, if we're honest, some of you guys were a little bit hopped up on like Christmas cheer and eggnog to like pay attention to the truths that God was speaking to you around Christmas time. And if we only ever hear it around Christmas time when we come to church and we're like, okay, preacher, I got a lot going on. All right. So like make it inspiring and make it short. I got to get out of here. It's difficult being a preacher around Christmas time. I get that. So now we're revisiting Christmas in April because I think God might be able to crack through and to teach us something. So we're going to go to Luke chapter one. And we're going to start off in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And a couple years ago, I preached on this text, and I mentioned like Nazareth. Luke has to, has to specify that Nazareth was in Galilee because like nobody knew where Nazareth was. And I said, you know, being in like West Michigan, and Nazareth is like Borkula, like nobody knows where that is. It's just like out there, right? It's just somewhere. And I made all these jokes about it. And somebody came up to me afterwards, like, young man, I'm from Borkula. And I'm like, here we go, right? And he goes, and you nailed it. Just nailed it. <laughs> Every time we're telling the Borkula joke. Verse 27. So the angel shows up in Borkula, middle of nowhere, and he says to a virgin, pledged, which is more than an engagement. It's, it's heavier than that. They're like right on the cusp. It was a cultural thing. They were just basically married already. They just had to sign their, their names on the paperwork to a man named Joseph, this descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. She's important. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The angel shows up in Nazareth, of all places, uh, to Mary, and because it's Nazareth, and Mary's like going, nothing interesting happens in Borculo, except for this angel shows up. So I don't think it's like, oh, cool, an angel. I think it's more like, we're all going to die, an angel, right? Like, she's terrified, and the angel shows up and says, greetings, Mary. And then we get this whole thing, because if you're going to reduce the Bible from a million words down to a little over a hundred, why are you so insistent on including some of that language around conceived by the Holy Spirit and born to the Virgin Mary? 
Other than Pontius Pilate, Mary is the only other person that's listed, that's referenced in this Apostles' Creed. Why does she stand out? And some of you maybe with a Catholic background are going like, oh, I get it. Like, she's everything around here. She's like the deal. It's like Jesus and Mary, and they're like the team that saves the world. And so I just want to kind of speak into that one a little bit, because we also, we also read that in the Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. And again, I got a question like, hey, dude, are we Catholic? This is the weirdest Catholic church I've ever been to, and I'm cool. I just like want to know. I just want to know if that's us. And it's like, yes and no. We're not Roman Catholic in the sense of Pope and Vatican, right? We're not that, like the denomination of Roman Catholicism, like the proper noun, the capital, capital letters. We're Catholic in the, in the, in the Latin root word of, uh, root of the, of the word that was used as in like the church universal. That's like when we talk about this creed keeps us broad and keeps us balanced. That's the Catholic part of this keeps us very broad. Like we join our voices with the church of all times and all places. So when we stand up at the end of this time, we're going to do it again. It's weird. We'll get used to it. When we stand up at the end of this time and we recite together this creed, we're joining our voices with billions of people in the past and in the future who are all coming together and saying, these right here, these are the load-bearing walls of this faith in Jesus Christ. I believe the Holy Catholic Church. And while we're on the topic of Mary, (laughs) we can't overlook the fact that God comes to her and says, greetings, you're highly favored. And over time, many churches have escalated and venerated her more and more. And so without maybe unnecessarily offending some of you who came from different backgrounds. I want to speak, uh, speak into that space from a scriptural perspective. And I want to say that Mary is worthy of your respect, but she would reject your worship. Mary is worthy of, of your respect. I mean, come on, right? Like, worthy of your respect This is a woman who accepted a remarkably difficult assignment. Like God breaks in and says, I'm going to turn your whole world upside down. Mary is here. She's a teenager. She's beyond the stage of engagement. She's on the cusp of getting married to Joseph. Life is going well for her. And the angel says, things are going to be different. She's in her little dream journal and she's practicing like spelling out Joseph's last name, signing it in cursive, right? Because to take it on as her own. She's in here like on the, the Pinterest boards, like gathering ideas for her wedding. And she's thinking, I, I, I'd like to go for farmhouse chic. That's a good idea, right? And the angel, because Jesus was born in a stable, but um, <laughs> the angel breaks in and says, your whole world is upside down. And she says, okay. And she's in. And we've got no indication that she ever took that back, that she ever walked down on. So yes, she is worthy of of your respect. But no, I think that she would reject your worship. The story of Jesus' public ministry, like his big going public party with his ministry happens at a wedding in Cana. And there's music and there's dancing unless you're Baptist and there was wine unless you're Baptist. And it ran out. It ran out. And so the people come up to Mary. And so one, you're like, well, yeah, Mary, like the mother of Jesus, the mother of God, technically, right? Mary, of course you go to a woman like that. So you're like, what, what do you do? And what does she do? 
She points to Jesus and she says, do whatever he tells you to, which isn't at our very core, all of us aspiring to do just exactly that. All of us, at our very, very best in our ministry, what we would do when somebody's hurting, what we do when somebody is broken, what we would do if somebody needs rescue, is to point to Jesus and say, you just got to believe whatever he says to believe. You just got to do whatever he says to do. We just point the way to Jesus. So yeah, Mary, worthy of your respect, she would reject your worship. She would say, no, 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 you got to go to Jesus. But wait a second, doesn't God say that Mary is highly favored? Yeah. He absolutely does, and she absolutely is. But don't forget what your story is and my story. Because what makes us highly favored isn't like earning our way up of saying, I lived according to the laws and the principles, God, I did exactly what you would have me do every single time, and now, at the end of my road, you look at me and you say, bless are you highly favored, you crushed it in your life. That's not our story. That's almost every other world religion's story. That's not the story of Christianity. The story of Christianity isn't about us climbing our way up to God. It's about God coming down to earth. What makes Mary so important, highly favored, is the fact that God looked on her and said, my grace and my presence is upon you. And because of that, you are highly favored and you are special. That's so important because right now one of you needs to hear me say that God's presence and God's grace is on you. And that makes you highly favored and very special. Not because of what we've done or not done, but everything because of what he has done. So the angel breaks in and she's terrified, verse 29, we get it. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. The names are important. Scripturally, anytime you come up with a name, you just, you got to figure out what what the meaning is behind it, because almost every time there's a profound meaning. The name Jesus means God is salvation, and he's speaking this truth of who Jesus is over her life. We do it too. At Encounter, we named this, we gathered together, and we didn't just like draw names out of a hat, you know, some letters and thought, that's cool. We're like, what do we want this church to be, this community? Uh, 13 years ago, we, we named this church Encounter because it was our sincere hope and sincere prayer that when you came in here, you wouldn't just learn a few things about God, but you would experience him. That you would encounter the living God in this space. Names mean something. Verse 32. He's got the name Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can, how will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. Listen, There are people, even in scripture, who plan on never having any children biologically of their own. And through God's provision, the language that they often use is opening their womb. And it's like this miraculous thing. We're going to hear about Elizabeth and, and something along those lines happened for Elizabeth. You hear stories. I hear stories. People thought they were done having kids. 
And then an unexpected blessing comes along their way. <laughs> you just look at your youngest and just say, oops. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I got a buddy. He was like, dude, two kids is just perfect. It's per- you don't have to get a minivan. You don't have to get an extra hotel room. It's just ideal. And he calls me. He's going, hey, we're expecting our third. And I'm like, sweet, dude. <laughs> Love that. You know how this works, right? No, I know how this works. Good, good. You can take care of this. Yep. He calls me a little while later, and he's gone, Four. I'm expecting four. We just went to the ultrasound, and it's twins. That's five kids. He's got five kids. Just as a heads up. That's an improbable story. True story. That's improbable. The story that we're reading here is impossible. And on top of that, it's absurd. And if you're like reading this story and going, the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary, right? And that's where Jesus comes into this world? Like, come on. That's wild. That's absurd. And I just want to say, yeah. Like, lean into that. As a follower of Believer, it makes me deeply uncomfortable to, like, try to figure this thing out and then to stand on a stage and say, actually, this is a load-bearing wall in our faith. You pull this one out and some other stuff starts crashing down, and we don't want any of that. That's weird, and that's absurd. And I think the only response to it is just a full-on lean into it and say, you know what? I think God in heaven before time was like, you know, we're going to make just the wildest story of how to enter into this world. Just like bananas, right? Because we want to make sure that anybody who would believe in this thing doesn't believe it just because it's like, I mean, yeah, like that makes sense. What else would you expect? I mean, I got no problem believing that, right? Like, you know, tearing apart the clouds, like, yeah, we're all there. You know, we all saw it. God is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to come in this. This is how it's going to happen, how I'm going to enter the world. It's going to require faith. So just lean into it and says, you know what? A story like this, A story like this one requires faith. It's not just improbable, it's impossible, and it's absurd. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is already in her sixth month for no word of God will ever fail. Someone asked um, Larry King, you guys know who Larry King is? Right, he's the suspenders guy on CNN. And uh, he interviewed like everybody. I think everybody who's ever lived, Larry King has interviewed him. Uh, But not those who died already. So he was asked one time, if you could interview anybody in history, who would they be and what would you ask? And without skipping a beat, Larry King goes, I would interview Jesus Christ and ask him if he really was virgin born. And then later on, some people followed up with him and were like, what are you, did you really say that? And did you mean it? And he said, he said, I, I absolutely did say it and I wasn't being facetious even a bit. And he goes, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm not a Christian, but for me, this whole thing hangs on that story. Like it's, it's the load-bearing wall that everything else Everything else kind of hangs on. And I, I just, I, I want to point it out to, to you guys a little bit, I think, why everything hangs on, on the virgin birth, on the, the Holy Spirit and the, and the Virgin Mary, uh, God and humanity united in one. Uh, it's important for us to recognize that he was fully God and fully human for a reason. He was fully God and fully human, and he did all that for a reason. We see in the virgin birth story, the, 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 really, the essence of who Jesus was about these two natures coming together, that, that he was fully 
He was God. Like you recognize that Jesus came into this world. He stepped into it from heaven with such power and such awe that he would command the weather and it listened. He would rearrange and restitch together atoms to make water into wine at the miracle I referenced. God, he speaks into the Lazarus tomb. You're not allowed to stay dead. And he came out. God, and we'll get to it next week, but one of those lines in the creed is that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And the, and the biblical authors say, on that day, people will run and flee and they'll hide in the mountains and the mountains will flee. Like, just think about what that means to be fully God walking around, that God is walking around. And when he enters the room, the mountains duck. God. We introduced this concept last week and we said, listen, part of this series each time is going to be recognized that the creed makes us broad and it brings us balance. And one way of of, of putting that, we said, you know, God doesn't want us to skip legs day. He He doesn't want us to be like the Dorito with little toothpicks walking around or a cyclist with tree trunk legs, little T Rex arms. He wants symmetry, He wants balance on us. All right? And so I'm going to ask you. When we talk about Jesus being fully God and fully human for a reason, one of those reasons is going to be to bring some balance to our lives. Where do you need to balance out? Is it Jesus on fully a God? Or fully human? And you recognize that you have a Savior who can empathize with every bit of your human lived experience. He gets it, He gets you. That you have a Savior as well as a Lord. Some of us are like, oh yeah, I do that well. I do that at the expense of this. And so I am terrified of him. And there's a level of that that's healthy and there's a level of that that's not, that's out of balance. That we're gonna bring some correction to it. Right, because some of us, we come up to church and we're like, no way, no way am I gonna go in there. Right, I'm still a little bit hungover maybe from the night before. You don't, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors in my home. Like if you saw my marriage, if you saw my financial situation, dude, like everything is a wreck like all the time. And so absolutely not at all. And I want, I want to just tell you that you not only have a Lord, you have a Savior. He wasn't just fully God, he was also fully human. And so just to invite you into like balancing this thing out just a little. Where do you need to bring some correction? Is it as fully God that he is a Lord, fully human, he is also a Savior? What do you do really well? What do you need to bring some correction on? Well, there's a better reason than that. And that's not even the one that, if you're just going to take away one, that's not even the one that I want you to take away from mine. That he was fully God and he was fully human for a reason, and the reason was you. The reason is you, and the reason is me. That Jesus stepped into this world to bring us out. I just imagine what it would be like a little bit with God the Father, God the Son, before the fall, before creation, before it all. And this conversation that would take place between them. Holy Spirit was there too, by the way. He was watching, a little quieter. He'll get his time. God the Father, God the Son. And the Father's like explaining to the Son the plan. 
And he's going to go, here's your mission to seek and save what was lost. Here's your mission to bring people far from God to new life in Christ. Here's your mission. So critically important. And you're going to come into, come into the world the same way every other person comes into the world. You have Mary. You're going to love her. She's great. She's not ready to be a mom. She's not ready to be Jesus' mom. <laughs> Bear with her. You know, Jesus, you will have all of the power and the authority on heaven and earth. Jesus, you'll never have you'll never have to take a bath. You could part the bath waters. You'll never have to eat broccoli. You can turn it into cake as it comes into your mouth. But Jesus, take your baths, eat the broccoli, be obedient. As soon as you are born into this world, every demon is going to come after you. The spiritual darkness is going to come around you. Jesus, as soon as you are born into the world, kings and kingdoms will be threatened and Herod will come after you immediately. You need to be on the run and you need to get out of there. Jesus is like, secure donkey fast. Let's go. (laughs) Jesus, throughout your ministry, you will give sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and you will raise the dead back to life and every time you do, they will hate you for it. And it doesn't make sense But Jesus, what I'm asking you to do is to go to your death, to be obedient that far. And on that last night before you die, you'll be gathered around with these 12 close friends and they will all run from you in your time of need and one will betray you. And Jesus is saying, Father, most people don't have their last supper with the ones that will run and betray. And he's going, son, you are not like most people, are you? They will whip you, they will taunt you, they will nail you to the cross. And you will never stop loving them. And Jesus would say back to his father, why? And the father would respond that a love that is shown is a love that is known. You need to show them how much you love them. And a deep love requires a deep Sacrifice. You are not going to simply shout your love from heaven. They won't get it. You got to show your love here on earth. So go. That's the load-bearing wall of the virgin birth. There was this, uh, there was this story of this couple. Uh, they've been married for a long, long time. And, and early on in their marriage, she became a follower of Jesus. God just absolutely got a hold of her heart. And it was just one of those beautiful stories. He did not believe. And uh, she wouldn't force it on him, you know, but there'd be like these invitations along the way. And so you know, one time she's, you know, hey, I'm, I'm heading out, heading to Bible study, heading to small group, going to church, you know, that sort of thing. And do you want to come with me? And he would always respond the exact same way. He would, no, no, I don't get it. This whole thing just doesn't make sense to me. Like, God would leave leave heaven to come here? Like, it's absurd. Okay. And they just kind of repeat. And, uh, and it, was, it was Christmas. It was Christmas Eve, and it was, it was nighttime, and she was going to go, she was going to go to Christmas Eve worship. And she's like, you know, why not? Just like one more time. And so she goes to her husband, yeah, it's Christmas Eve. Are you curious? Are you interested? And he responded the same way as he always did. He goes, well, I just... So she goes, she goes out to worship, and he sits down in the den, and he's like reading a book. 
And he hears this like thump, right? Thump, thump. Uh, on, on the window, and he thinks, he assumes it's like neighborhood kids like throwing snowballs and like hitting the window. And so he goes outside there with his boots ready with his big, you know, voice. And, and he looks down, and he sees on his front porch, it's not snowballs that's there, it's geese. The weather had turned, winter storm was rolling in. The geese are like disoriented, they're confused in their uh, migration. They see some light coming out of the house, and they're like dive bombing in, and they're smashing into the window, like head first. And they're getting injured. There's some breaking their necks, breaking wings. And, and a couple of them are like lying on the front porch of this guy's house. And he looks, and now it's like field, his front yard is like got a ton of geese that are all landed. They can't fly. They don't know what to do. They're confused. They're disoriented. They're hurting. And he goes out there and he's like, you're going to kill yourself flying into the window over here. Like they've got some property and outbuilding this barn. He kind of slides it open. He goes out to the geese and he's like, get just, get your tail ends into the into the barn right get out of the out of the weather out of the snow out of the you're safe and secure in the barn but as he goes around the geese and he sees that they're hurting and he sees that their necks are broken as he gets close to them they all start to like flap and flail and he's like no no no, no. and not only are they hurt and they're broken but now they're terrified of this big dude that's trying to like capture them or something and he has this this fleeting thought just for a moment and he goes, man, if I could just be a goose for a little while and I could like show them how to get into the barn where they can live. You know, they wouldn't be afraid of me. They would trust me. They would believe me. Everything would make sense to them. It doesn't have to make sense. And he got there. <laughs> he recognized. The irony was not escaped on him in that moment. Why the virgin birth was necessary, why the incarnation is a load-bearing wall. Because a love that is shown is a love that is known. And God wasn't shouting his love from heaven. He was showing it here on earth. And so he just prayed. Okay. You win, God. Thank you for sending your son. I'm sorry for my doubt. I'm sorry for my skepticism. Help me believe. Church, we're going to close out our time right now. We're going to read that creed, and we're going to join our voices with so many others and sing one more song during that song. If you want to give your life to him, if you want to start off on this journey, if you want to get in the game, we have prayer tables set up in our auditoriums. That simple prayer. Thank you for sending your son. I'm sorry for my doubt. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for anything that is holding me back from you. Please help me overcome it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to invite you to stand up and we're going to join our voices with countless others. And what I want to do is get the words on the screen and we're going to say, I'm going to start off and I'm going to be reading, right? But because I got the microphone, sometimes my voice dominates. So what we're going to do is we're going to read it together and then I'm just going to drop off. You don't drop off. In fact, now you have to like overcome it for those watching online to hear your voice, right? So I need you guys, when I drop out, to go even louder. You get it? All right, let's join our voices across thousands of years to be reminded how broad 
this universal church is. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, 